if you've been wondering who the hell is this guy in the corner with a red and white checked tablecloth, I, I am sorry to disappoint you that it is not the Great British Baking Show. It is not some award giveaway. It's actually a podcast we're doing here at Local 16. My name is Jared Rizzi, and this is At the Table. Third round of DNC primary debates for president have come forward. They are over and done with. What I loved about ABC tonight and, and absolutely hated about CNN last time, CNN promised a two-hour debate and gave us a two-and-a-half-hour debate. ABC tonight promised us a three-hour debate and gave us a two-and-a-half-hour debate. And, and so in the spirit of over-promising, or scratch that, reverse it, under-promising and over-delivering, I am going to try to do a little bit of that. So aside from the, the good food and the good company here at Local 16, all I can say is that there was something else that I thought we, we cut through. And that is I thought the people who needed to speak tonight got their message through. And I thought Liz Warren, Senator Warren did an excellent job at that. I actually thought Senator Sanders, who is always consistent, uh, managed to do a very good job of that as well. And the people who in the supporting roles, in the kind of the wings of the debate tonight, made themselves heard in a way that was constructive. You know, I made a lot of comments before the debate about the lack of utility of having someone like Senator Amy Klobuchar present. But even she was making excellent points throughout the night that I think the pres her presence, without her tonight, it would have been worse off. So I think the 10 people that we had there tonight, certainly we could have done without John Delaney and Marianne Williamson and a few other people, Tulsi Gabbard, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that we what we heard tonight was a little bit different in the sense that um, the, the supporting characters played their role well, and we actually heard some useful points out of them, and, and, and the, the front runners differentiated themselves in a way that was helpful. Let me start with the what what people are saying front runner, and that certainly is true. But I think that if you have a hundred percent name recognition and only twenty five to thirty percent of the people like you, like Joe Biden, you are actually suffering from a, a lack of support, not a uh, glut of support. And in that universe, I'm going to say that I thought Biden did a very good job tonight of differentiating himself from the progressives in a way that got some reaction in the room and probably reinforced him as the last white man standing when six of them or so had been eliminated from the 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 the, um, the lineup in the last few weeks uh, the, the the thing that he did I think most notably was hold his own as he was being buffeted at the beginning of the debate from Warren and Sanders and then later on in the debate he got a few clean blows from uh, uh, former secretary of HUD uh, Castro, And again, I just think that what we saw from him tonight was a clarifying message. If you're looking for someone who is going to give lip service to the Obama era and not do much to change it, I think Joe Biden is going to, to do that. He certainly didn't have any answers, I don't think, any substantive, meaningful answers. When it comes to some of the big questions about, hey, and, and he got these directly, which I was grateful for the uh, ABC moderators, uh, these direct questions about, you know, what are you going to do differently than during the Obama era when you didn't get X done then. For example, on gun control, for example, on judges, a number of other issues where Biden just wasn't able to come up with a clarifying answer. But again, differentiating himself in the field by 
positing a, a more moderate path and arguing for it. He certainly did a better job at that than, for example, Klobuchar or a few of the other people who strove for that mantle, and certainly better than the other 10 candidates, uh, many of whom were trying for that lane, and that's a, that's a jargon word that's kind of useless, uh, but that lane in the debates that, we, uh, that we'd been hearing for the last few months. When it comes to Warren and Sanders, there was a lot of talk about whether there would be kind of, um, you know, any kind of uh, back and forth between the two of them. I did not hear that in a way that was significant. I did hear them backing each other up in a number of ways. For example, again, going back to Joe Biden, in in a way that was uh, on health care, for example, talking about, hey, you're not talking about losing something with Medicare for all. You're talking about gaining something, which is uh, the, the, the cheapest rate possible on some of these health insurance policies. Uh, talking about, for example, the naivete that Biden brings when dealing with congressional Republicans. Again, Warren and Sanders were, were back, uh, were at, had each other's back in a significant way and one that, that reinforced their mutual message. There were some differentiation. I think, you know, Sanders is always going to appeal to that more bombastic style. I was talking about this before the debate. It's fascinating to me, fascinating to me, that for those who are less interested in following politics as a regular daily event, as a, something as part of their regular lives, Sanders is a much bigger presence in in those uh, for those voters. He is uh, someone who who um, who gets a lot of support from people who aren't as plugged in daily. Uh, Warren, on the other hand, is is the favorite among those who are following politics very closely. That from some polls that uh, that that have been released in the last few days and weeks. Again, trying to capture who are the people who are going to make this uh, this primary more interesting, and again, who are going to not just vote in these uh, primaries once we get, we're still months away from the first uh, caucuses and primaries, but who are going to continue to shape the opinions in the next few months. And that, I, for what it's worth, that might include me having this conversation with you talking about who's interesting or not. I mean, I'm not, I certainly have my favorites, but I, I'm not really trying, I'm not a, I'm not a mover of, of inf uh, in influence. I'm not an influencer uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Maybe in the world of like meatball related content, I could be an influencer, but I don't think in any other sense. Um, here are some people that I thought did well tonight, and my, my wife is going to yell at me because I, I keep harping up Pete Buttigieg, and she gets mad at me because she doesn't like him very much, and she thinks that I only like him because I'm a Notre Dame guy, and his dad taught at Notre Dame, and I knew his, his dad uh, as a professor there. That is not the only reason why I like him. Uh, there, there were a couple moments tonight, including one of his last answers, that really, I think, strike home for me what he's trying to do in this race. The last question, and ABC kind of lied to us. They said they weren't going to have a, a closing statement, but what they did do was a final question that was very much closing statement-esque, and they asked candidates about their, their greatest setback or regret. I mean, it was essentially the uh, what's your biggest weakness question of uh, the interview process. And several answers were good, but I think the two best answers were the last one, Julian Castro, the former Secretary of HUD, and Pete Buttigieg, the, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He was talking about his decision to come out to his constituents and as a gay American, after having served in the military, 
and winning support with 80%. And he talked about the trust that he earned from his constituents when he put his trust in them. And the question that he posed, and I feel like this is so central to this moment in our politics, what's more important to you, what's worth more to you than winning? I love this answer from Buttigieg because for me, in this moment right now, when you're faced with Donald Trump, a man who exemplifies the toxicity, the overt masculinity, the bullshit of win at all costs and only judge yourself by whether you win or not, someone like Buttigieg perfectly lances that boil in a way that can advance us as a country. I think that answer was perfect. And I'm glad, as a straight white dude, I'm glad that a gay man made it and that someone has to t explain that position to Donald Trump tomorrow when he gets back from to the White House after tonight's uh, remarks in Baltimore. I'm glad that someone has to try to explain that to him. They won't, and he won't get it, but they'll have to try. The other answer that I thought was fantastic, again, on this last question, Castro gave this example of him in his first job, uh, his first big job around the year 2000 in city council, and how he had a client that wanted this, this golf course. And again, what a great contrast to the golf course owning president that we have right now. And he said that he left his job as a lawyer and kept his $1,000 a year job on the city council because he knew that he had to do what was right. And he was glad that in this test, in this moment, he had the opportunity to pass that. And he said that the president, this president, Donald Trump, has failed the test. It reminded me of something that President Barack Obama used to say all the time, which is that presidency, the power of the presidency, does not change who you are. It reveals who you are. And these candidates have been revealed in these last few months. Whatever you can say about the utility of these debates and the nonsense questions and the back and forth and the short answers, we have learned more about them and their character in these last few months. And Donald Trump still exists primarily to obscure his character, to obscure his finances, his true self, everything about himself that he clearly hates because of his narcissistic personality disorder and the problems that he faces with that. But everything there and these candidates, again, what I saw tonight, I did not love every idea that I saw tonight, but what I did love was seeing 10 candidates on the stage who all had the strength of character to do good things and present those ideas in an intellectually consistent way. That is not what we're seeing on the Republican side of this debate right now because A, Donald Trump is so thin-skinned that early states have canceled their Republican primaries. We're not going to hear from Bill Weld. No one's going to be saved by Mark Sanford. No one's going to actually get this chance to challenge Donald Trump. So the Republican Party is completely and totally beholden to Donald Trump. And for all its faults, the Democratic Party is actually having a contest and a conversation about what it means to be a Democrat in 2019. We heard a lot in the middle of the debate about the legacy of slavery. Several candidates mentioned these, the 400-year the mark, the, the, what has been labeled as controversial in the New York Times Magazine and is really basic civics for this country. That conversation being front and center in the Democratic primary in, in stark contrast to a Republican primary, and remember, Guys like Joe Biden want us to make peace with Republicans and try to work with them, even after he couldn't for eight years, six years during the Obama presidency. Republican voters, 
by a wide margin think that anti-white racism is a bigger problem in the United States of America in 2019 than anti-black racism. You can't fix that among people who are that committed to delusion, and yet here we are. The Democratic Party is having these big questions, and we saw Biden tonight, and again, I was proud of the way that he held himself, even though Castro was, <laughs> I think, landing some pretty good hits on him not remembering what he said two minutes ago or you know being inconsistent with policies he used to hold but making a decent argument that things can't necessarily get paid for and things are going to take a little while that's convincing to some people not to me but it is convincing to a lot of people i am still looking for a candidate who is going to find a way to say yes to the big questions, not a way to say no to those questions. I want to see a Democrat who can say to these big questions, we are not exhausted of the reasoning and the challenges that we have faced. We are not exhausted for our answers. What we heard from Joe Biden tonight from one of the oldest candidates that we have ever seen run for president is that he is very tired and that the answers he is showing are very old. He was talking a lot about the Kennedy era, and God bless him, that is his legacy, that is his memory. And we can't forget that, just like we can't forget the lessons, for example, this week of 9-11, but we are not constrained by the straitjacket of history. We are not limited to what was done before. I loved when we saw people like Harris, I think Harris and Warren did this the best, talking about the legacy of Obamacare and saying, yes, it was good, embracing the legacy of the Affordable Care Act, but then saying, but it just isn't enough. Now, Harris has a kind of a squishy answer after that, and she's doing this hybrid plan that she has kind of been all over the place with. But the, <laughs> but the rhetoric was good, damn it, and doesn't that get us at least a, a few drinks in through the night? I would not be surprised if without the other candidates on the field, Joe Biden actually regains some momentum in the polls in the next few weeks. Do not be surprised, because without John Delaney sucking up 0.4 percentage of the polls or, you know, Governor Steve Bullock of, uh, you know, taking up his even smaller percentage, there will be some people who decide that Joe Biden really is, and we keep hearing this, really is the only one who can beat Donald Trump in 2020. What heartens me is that early polls suggest the exact opposite, that Trump, who won by the razor-thinnest margin in 2016, is so vulnerable that just about anybody in the center of that field that we saw tonight in Houston on ABC could beat Donald Trump handily in 2020. That should give us heart to make choices about the big questions and how we want to answer them. I hope that we continue to seek out big questions and big answers because for me, that is what politics is at its best. And Joe Biden did say this. He talked about this in the context of the moonshot, a president who is going to set a marker and demand that we do something big. And then he followed it up with rhetoric that's saying Medicare for all costs too much and it's going to take too long. That is inconsistency we cannot abide. I'm Jared Rizzi, and this is At the Table. Uh, all, all evening long, I've been the guy in a bar on a laptop, so forgive me if I sound a little 
tense. I didn't get a glass of wine until the second half of this show. At one point in the evening, Vice President Joe Biden was using the word socialist like a cudgel. And I feel like that is going to be a moment that is going to play on Fox News in clips for the next couple of years. Uh, that was a little disappointing. He was talking to Senator Sanders at the time, but he was getting essentially tag-teamed by Sanders and Warren and not taking the heat very well, Joe. Not taking it. Uh, you know, the last, um, the last debate episode, uh, I actually titled uh, Whoop of Joe uh, because I thought that he took on the most incoming. And I think whether it was from those two, Sanders and Warren, or Castro tonight... Uh, Biden again took on a lot of uh, a lot of water. Uh, he did not necessarily uh, play it off super well, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's difficult for me to have him, and that 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 led to an unfortunate round of nonsense, which was basically a bunch of candidates saying, "Oh, we're not supposed to attack other Democrats," and then saying, oh, "But this is a primary," and then, uh, "Hey, what are we doing here?" And it's all made for TV. It's all bullshit. And it doesn't serve us well. And it's unfortunate that Biden led that charge knowing exactly what he was doing with it. That part sucks. I don't like that. And then we that also led to Castro, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, saying that Biden couldn't remember what he said two minutes ago. So it also led to one of my favorite moments of the debate, which was yeah, da, 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 da. Um, a lot of crosstalk. Not very in- educational, but sometimes very entertaining. Take what you can get. I'm Jared Rizzi, by the way, speaking of taking what you can get. Uh, I'm here at the table uh, here at Local 16. AK had a really good point about foreign policy. Now, I had tweeted earlier, and you can hold me accountable for this, that I didn't think foreign policy was very granular, and we didn't learn a lot from the candidates. But I've also been drinking heavily. So I wonder about this, and, and AK was saying, you know, between some of the different sensibilities and military experience, there was some of that there. And I'd be curious to what you think. Again, Twitter is the easiest way to do this, at Jared Rizzi, if you've got a way to comment on this. Um, let me know what you think. Or hashtag at the table, either on Facebook or Twitter. I'll find you. I'll find you. But he was pointing this out, and to me, it's funny, because we all get cued in to different things. I feel like I didn't learn a lot, but I also think that that everyone hears different things. I think... The idea that you've only got one Democrat at this point, one top-tier Democrat with military service in his background. Yeah, uh, Buttigieg definitely made a funny comment about serving way under uh, Dunford at one point, and I did laugh at that. You know, we haven't heard, and unfortunately we usually don't hear, a serious discussion of foreign policy and military preparedness and terrorism until the general election debate. And by the way... Donald Trump says he doesn't even want to do the general election debates because he's scared of looking ridiculous. But, and, and by the way, it's not up to him. There's the Commission on Presidential Debates, and the two co-chairs of that right now are George W. Bush and Barack Obama. So there will be some public pressure. There will be some public pressure if Trump decides to treat them like the first two wives of his life. I don't think he can do that to the debates, but God knows he'll try. But here's again what I want to say about foreign policy, which is that I didn't find it too, too educating, but I always hear things and miss things based on my life experience. And I am always keenly aware 
and AK was kind enough to remind me of this, that I am looking through the tiny straw, the drinking straw, the DC politically correct paper drinking straw of my own limited life experience. And the things that you've seen, the things that you've experienced, the background that you grew up with are going to bring different things to our table. Bring them because it's about showing up. Let me know what you're thinking, what you thought was interesting, what you thought was good, bad, indifferent at the table. Bring it to me. Again, on Twitter's the easiest way. The other way to do it, if you're liking and subscribing and listening to the podcast, please leave a review. And if you happen to be of the means and inclination where you want to throw a couple bucks our way, the Patreon is the best way to do that. Um, there are several different tiers of... Um, contributing and at the highest ones I will be doing things for you that I would not even do for some of my closest friends and you will actually have to look up the link to find out what I'm talking about uh, patreon.com slash Jared Rizzi uh, is the easiest way to learn uh, about some of the things that I try to make available there um, but more importantly to try to make this conversation possible it is um, it is something that brings me a lot of joy. I hope it brings you a little bit of joy. I certainly hope that in a world of politics that constantly feels like an overwhelming fire hose of horseshit in your face every day, that I can be the temporary nanosecond of the hose shutting off before it comes back at you full blast again. And that's where I will leave you tonight. Again, I'm Jared Rizzi. This is At The Table. My thanks to everyone who's made this possible tonight. Again, A.K. Adams, Aman Ayub, who's been giving us this space tonight, everybody at Local 16. And, and frankly, you for listening, for subscribing, for reviewing, and if you can, supporting uh, the Patreon. It really means a lot to me. Nothing is more valuable than the time we spend together. Listening with your ears is already an amazing gift. But if you believe in this concept, if you believe in it the way I do, I really hope that you can, can give a little bit more, whether that's just liking, subscribing, telling somebody about it, or even a little bit more than that. Again, thank you for the ear time. Thank you for the time that I get to spend inside your head. It means the world to me, and you probably don't even know how much it means.